uh, it's clearing up. It's going to be a pretty afternoon. It's good to be with you today. Pastor Sandy is uh, away this morning. He's been speaking at a men's conference out in Northern California, and uh, he's going to be at a church there today. So be praying for him. Uh, don't forget to continue to pray for Kathy as she is still in Africa, pulling teeth and ministering to the Lord and to the people there. And so be praying for her as she'll be traveling back, I think, this week. So keep her in your prayers as well. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. If you need a Bible, if you just raise your hand, one of our ushers will make sure that you get one. But Proverbs chapter 3. We'll be back in our New Testament study through the, through the New Testament next week. Uh, don't forget about all the events that are going to be happening next Sunday morning. going to be a great time. Best part, free hot dogs and hamburgers after the service. Mark and the gang will be cooking. Let's pray. Father, thank you for writing your thoughts and your words and your truth down in a book for us, Lord. How often we forget your truth, and yet we go back to your word, we go back, we read it, and we're reminded. And Lord, today I I pray that that would be no exception, that as we open your word to a familiar passage, uh, that you'll remind us again of the truths found here in Proverbs chapter 3. Lord, we just ask you to bless now and speak to our hearts. Anoint the teaching of your word today. In the Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. One of the most popular internet resources to watch are presentations called TED Talks. You know what a TED Talk is? Any of you guys ever watched a TED Talk? Yeah, they're really interesting. Um, I never knew what the acronym TED stood for until I looked this week. It stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. TED Talks, if you've never seen one, they're short lectures, usually about 15 to 18 minutes in length. They're always interesting, they're well-produced, and they're done about on every conceivable topic that you can think of. Now, I love the concept. I love the idea. They give you this very professional presentation on a defined topic, and they do it in a short period of time. Now, let me say right up front, I am not necessarily recommending TED Talks. Some of them are really good. Some of them are off the wall. Uh, I found some of them helpful, but many of them are done by crazy people who have some crazy ideas, often from an unbiblical perspective. But I love the idea of giving people powerful information that will help them and doing it in short bursts of information that just leave you wanting more. In the Bible, specifically in the book of Proverbs, I think we find the original TED Talks. Take, for example, if you want a short talk on the dangers of adultery. Well, hey, just go to Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 and it's there for you. If you want a a TED Talk on the virtues of motherhood, of course, Proverbs 31, near the end of the chapter. You want one on the pitfalls that will destroy a leader? Again, Proverbs 31, the first nine verses. You want to talk on the hazards of laziness? Boy, there are several passages in there that will help you. You want instruction on wisdom, or how to handle money, or the importance of honesty and integrity. What about developing a strong worth ethic? Or the importance of controlling your tongue. Trust me, the book of Proverbs has a TED Talk for you. Just read it. 
Each talk will be short. It will be full of truth. Well, today I want us to look at one of my favorite TED Talks found in the book of Proverbs, found here in Proverbs chapter 3. One that I like to call a dad talk. It's a talk given from a wise father to a teenage son, and it's found here in the first 15 verses of Proverbs chapter 3. The context of the passage is a father giving to his son five practical applications of wisdom. Now, if we were to go back to chapter 2, in chapter 2 it's all about how wisdom will protect you if you'll embrace it and if you'll use it in your everyday life. But in chapter 3, the father decides, you know what, I'm going to help my son practically apply what wisdom is all about in everyday life. He's, he tells his son this, if you want to know God, what God's wisdom looks like in your life, well, here it is. Here's some examples. And so today's message is going to be a dad talk. You ever had a dad talk with your father? You know what it's like? It's when dad sits down across from him and he says, son, I want to talk to you about something. And you just never know what's coming next. Well, usually I pretty much knew what was coming next. But it was this stern look from dad. Let's talk about things. Let's talk about life. That is exactly what a caring father does for his son. He, from time to time, sits down with him and has a dad talk. Well, this morning, can we have a dad talk? And let the Heavenly Father speak to us about some issues that I think are really, really important to our life. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. There, the father says, My son, do not forsake my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Now, the first concern that this father has, notice, is that his son will forget God's law. Now, notice what's implied here. It's understood that his son has learned God's law. The father at this point in his life is confident that he has taught his son the word of God. Now, as a parent, I raised four teenagers. At one point in my life, one year of our lives, Don and I had a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old. One of the funnest years of life was that year, at least unforgettable. Now, I was confident by the time my kids were 13 or 14 years old, that they knew right from wrong. Now, I wasn't always confident that they were going to choose right from wrong, but I knew that they knew right from wrong. I was fairly certain that in most situations, they were equipped to do the right thing, whether they chose to do it or not. And if you're a, a parent of young children this morning, say between the ages of birth and 12 years old, Understand that now is the time to teach them. Now is the time to plant in your child's lives the truths of Scripture. You can't waste a moment. On Sundays, get them to church. Let your Sunday school teachers help you with this daunting task. But also, daily, as life gives you opportunity, boy, you need to teach them the truths of Scriptures. You know, when they come home from school and they've encountered conversations that day about evolution or about gender confusion that's a great time to pull them aside and have a dad talk or a mom talk 
and say, hey, let's talk about what you learned. And let's talk about what the Bible says about those things. Let's put this in God's context. After meals, a fun one for us was don't just give your kids dessert. We always made our kids earn dessert by playing Bible trivia. And we would come up with questions. You want dessert? You got to answer these questions. And we'd drill them for about 15 or 20 minutes. Great way to teach your kids the truths of Scripture. When we would ride in the car, and this is why I'm against giving your kid one of those little video things and letting them stare at it the whole time you're in the car. Don't do that. Do this. Say, hey, today we're going to play the famous game. And this is how you play it. First of all, we're going to start with famous threes. We're going to go around the car, and you've got to come up with some famous three from the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Great three. Peter, John, Peter, James, and John. Jesus was three days in the tomb. There were three people on the cross when Jesus was crucified. There were three first kings of Israel. Saul, David, Solomon. And after we go around and do that a couple of times or stump somebody, then we'd come out and say, all right, how about famous 40s of the Bible? Famous sevens of the Bible. Do you realize you can teach your kids an enormous amount of information just playing games like that? Teaching them the stories and the facts of the Bible. Now, when your kids when your kids get older, well, a great way to do it, especially when they get about the middle school age, is sit down with them and start watching some of their TV shows with them. Now, my daughter said that I exaggerated this a bit in the first service, so I'm going to de-exaggerate. <laughs> From time to time, I would sit down with my daughters and watch the Gilmore Girls. Y'all familiar with the Gilmore Girls? Oh. But as a father of middle school daughters, I felt it was important that I watched a little bit of what they were watching. And from time to time, when some bizarre thing would happen on the show, I would interrupt them and I would say, what does the Bible say about that? (laughs) Tell a funny story. This is not in my notes. I probably shouldn't tell it. But one day, Stacy was on a date and a bunch of the kids had come over to the house. They were having kind of a date at our house. I don't remember if you were there or not, Danielle, but several of the kids were, and they were watching this movie. It was a PG-13 movie. Well, guess who happened to walk in just right at the appropriate time of the movie? You know, there happened to be a little bit of a <clears throat> scene in the movie. No nudity or anything like that, but, you know, doing some things probably not biblical. And I walked into the movie. I walked into the living room where they're all watching the movie, and I, hmm, what do you think the Bible says about that? Kind of put a chill on the dating atmosphere that night. It's a good thing, though. But these are good things to do. It's, it's, when your kids are young, when they're teens, uh, invade in their life. Try to, re- to get them to think biblically. Because when they become teenagers, all of a sudden it's time for things to change. You can't preach anymore. Now it becomes time when you have to help them to remember what they've learned from you. See, I've found preaching to teenagers does not do a lot of good. They can tune you out quicker than you would think. But at this point, your job becomes to remind them of what you've taught them and to encourage them not to forget it. Now, notice something else here, that the father's real concern is the child's heart. He wasn't looking for the child just to behave, just to be obedient when dad was watching so that dad would leave him alone. No, he he wanted his son to obey God from his heart and do it because that's what the child wanted to do. That he wanted in his heart to do the right thing with the right motivation. 
don't worry so much about what your child's doing in front of you. Because in front of you, they're going to do the right thing most of the time. Your real concern as a parent of a teen needs to be about the decisions you're making when you're not, they're making when you're not around. When they're out there on their own. Because that is when the convictions of their heart becomes clear. One of the favorite sayings that I would say to my teens when they would leave home on a date or when they'd go back to college, I'd have three simple words for them. Make good decisions. Remember God's word. Think about it when you get in those situations because what you do in those moments are going to be important. Notice what he says. He says, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Here's an important reminder from the father to the child. He reminds his son that the quality and the quantity of his life may be greatly affected by the choices that he's making during these pivotal teenage years. Listen, teenagers. All the decisions that you're making right now when mom and dad are not around you can have far-reaching consequences in your life. And it's important in these moments when there's nobody around to support you, nobody around to force you to do the right thing, that in those moments you remember God's Word, that you remember what you've been taught because mom and dad are not going to be there to force you. In that moment, it's going to be up to you. Hey, teenagers of all ages this morning, is obedience to God in your heart? Does it come from your heart? Are you obeying God because, man, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do? Or are you obeying God because, man, if I don't, man, my wife's going to get mad at me. Man, if I don't, I'm going to set a bad example for my kids. Hey, may we all learn to obey from the heart. Dead talk number one. Remember God's word and obey it from your heart. Verse three. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. In many ways, mercy and truth are almost opposites. Mercy is the willingness to overlook a, trans, a, a, a transgression. Someone's hurt you in some way. And instead of bringing punishment to them that they deserve, you choose to show them kindness instead. You choose forgiveness You give them kindness when they deserve judgment. Now, truth, on the other hand, demands that we make a stand for what's right. Truth requires that we hold a person accountable for what they've done, for the sins that they've committed. Hey, there's right and there's wrong. And truth requires us to judge wrong behavior. Truth, by its very nature, means wrongs must be met with consequences. The law is broken, therefore there's a, a, a fee, a fine that must be paid. You do the deed, you got to pay the fee. You do the crime, you got to serve the time. I did that for y'all just in case you were missing Pastor Sandy this morning, you know, kind, <laughs> kind of get a little rhythm going there, a little wordplay, a little funny. Okay, not so funny, but pretty good Pastor Sandy invitation if I may say so myself. Given those two extremes, though, how do we bind both of these, mercy and truth, around our neck? In other words, how can mercy and truth coexist in our heart? Well, how? Well, the same way they coexisted in Jesus' heart. 
Listen to the description of Jesus found in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John continues in chapter 1, verse 17. He says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now grace Mercy, kindness, these are all very similar words. They're all talking about the same idea. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see the perfect balance of someone who could address sin with both mercy or grace or kindness and with truth. Guys, Jesus never excused sin, but he was so willing to address the sin in a person's life with mercy and to offer repentance to them. John chapter 8, very famous story, we all know it. There was a woman caught in adultery in the very act, the Bible says. Was she guilty? Oh, absolutely she was. Though she was not alone in her guilt, somewhere there was a man who was also guilty, but he wasn't here. Now, in the encounter with Jesus, Jesus never declared her innocent. But he did show her mercy. In John chapter 8, we read these words. When Jesus had raised himself up, and you remember what had happened. He had said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone at her. And then he started doodling in the sand. Well, now he raises himself up and he saw that no one but the woman was there. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In one sentence, Jesus perfectly illustrates how to bind mercy and truth into our hearts and to deal with situations. Notice first, mercy. He says, neither do I condemn you. But second, he dips in the deep waters of truth and says, go and sin no more. Wow. What an amazing, amazing ability to handle a person who's caught in sin. It happened again on the cross, though. You remember Jesus is hanging on the cross between two guilty men. And in Luke 23, we read this. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, Jesus saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. The implication being God could have. And you do know that Jesus could have delivered them from the cross, but he didn't. And the other one, <laughs> the other one, the, the other answered and rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? In other words, you're about to die and you don't fear God. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus knew this man was guilty of breaking the law. That's the reason he was hanging on this cross. It was for what he had done wrong. And the man even admits it. He said, hey, I'm here because I'm simply being responsible for what I've done. And again, I suppose Jesus could have rescued him from his faith, but he doesn't. Jesus recognizes that this man is guilty and he's getting his just punishment. But look at the mercy he shows. 
Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you and I carry this same conviction of truth and yet blend it with kindness and mercy? See, I believe we can only do that if we seek the heart of Jesus. Mercy will come from us. When what? When we remember just how guilty we are. That's when mercy flows from me. When I look at somebody else and I realize they've blown it, and then I pause in that moment and I think and I say, wait a minute, James, you've been there. You've done that. And when I think and realize just how guilty I am before God, it allows me, it enables me to show mercy in a situation. But truth, truth's also important. Truth happens when I remember God's word. And when I recognize that I've got to keep God's word at the forefront of my mind and of my heart, and I cannot excuse what's been done. You see, Mercy and truth, they function in our lives like door closures on restroom doors. You ever looked at a door closure? I put one up on the screen there. You know what door closures do? They function to keep the door from going too far in either direction. You know, you can push a door only so far when it has a door closure on it, and it stops you. And then when it starts to close, it only goes so far, and then it stops. The door closure keeps the door from going to either unwanted extreme. And this is what mercy and truth do in our lives. They work together to keep us from an unwanted extreme in our life. Mercy taken to an extreme becomes what? Well, it does away with all accountability and responsibility for our sins. Life, if it only has mercy in it, lacks boundaries. It doesn't have rules. It doesn't have limits to how far it will go in in doing the wrong things. But if we swing too far in the other direction, the the direction of truth, suddenly every situation looks to us like an absolute. In every circumstance, all we see is right and wrong. Suddenly there's no gray area. There's no room for grace. Sin has occurred and it must be judged And we can easily become legalistic Pharisees who see it as our job to keep everyone else in line. We become arbiters of truth without any grace. We're always right. And anybody that disagrees with us or anybody that sees things slightly different is wrong. Can can you see how either extreme is very harmful to human relationships? Neither extreme represents the heart of God. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Mercy was so important to Jesus. And so whenever he had to show judgment on sin, he always tempered it with mercy. Listen, if we're going to operate in this sinful world, guys, we need both. If we're going to maintain relationships with each other as broken people, we're going to need both. Yes, Truth is important. There is right and there is wrong, but it always must be tempered with mercy. Notice what verse 4 says. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. God loves it 
when our response to to sin resembles Jesus' response. And you know what else? People will sense a fairness in us when we treat other people this way. When we show love without compromising truth, that's when we're near to the heart of God. And think about our world today, guys. Is this what we see going on around us? Absolutely not. The world we live in today, especially in the United States, has become two poles. One group on one end of the spectrum, one group on the other end, both claiming they know the truth. Both claiming that they've got it right. And no one, no one looks at the other with kindness. And guys, this is not the way the church of God needs to live in this world. Guys, we know the truth. I'm quite confident that I know right from wrong. And I can recognize wrong when it happens. But if I don't temper my approach to people with grace and with mercy and with love, then I've become like a sounding trumpet that's just blurring notes that mean nothing. God loves it when we can put both of these things around our neck and wear them. So dead talk number two. Treat people with mercy, but always couple that mercy with God's truth. You can't overlook sin, but you can confront it with kindness. And then in verse 5 we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. How many of you have this verse memorized right here? Yeah, I bet most of us do. Yeah, it's such an important verse to memorize. You know, it amazes me how much of life is built around trust. Have you noticed that? Marriage, it's all about trust. Employment, you've got to be able to entrust your, employee, your employees or your employer. Friendships, church life, the businesses that we choose to support. All meaningful human relationships are built on trust. Guys, our relationship with God is built on trust and trust alone. From our very point of salvation, it's built on trust. What does God ask us to do? To trust that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient for our forgiveness. God goes as far as to say, if you trust in something else, what? Christ profits you nothing. In other words, trust Christ Trust what I've done for you. And here, notice the dad, this this father. He he tells his son to trust God with his whole heart. See, to trust God with your whole heart, I've got to ask myself the question. In other words, when when I try to decide, am I really trusting God with my whole heart? Ask yourself this question. What do I lean on in times of trouble or in times of uncertainty? You know, when everything is going great and life is easy, boy, you can say, hey, I'm trusting God, man. You know, you got all kind of money in your savings account. You got a great job. Everything's going. Man, I just trust the Lord with what I have. Yeah. But what do you do when that bank account shrinks? When that job is lost? When difficulties hit you? What do you lean on when life gets out of your control? See, You can't trust God with your whole heart and then in times of trouble start leaning on your own understanding. So many times in life, if I'm going to trust God, 
It's going to require me to step out in faith and to trust Him when I don't understand what He's doing. When I can't figure it out. When our oldest son, Brian, was born some long time ago, Donna, we decided that Donna would quit working and stay home. And financially, on paper, we just could not make it work. We tried. We did our budget. But we were convinced that this was the right move for our family and what we needed to do. Well, Donna and I were shocked at how quickly our faith would be tested. Because within the first three months, all of a sudden, we didn't have enough money to pay the mortgage. Our bank account had gotten that lean. See, when she had quit her job, uh, we, we just thought, well, trust God. You know, that's easy to say before the bills come due. It was trusting God. But then when we couldn't pay the mortgage, I started to panic. And out of the blue, though, one day, we got this check in the mail. Right at the moment when I thought we were done, we got a check in the mail. And it was for the exact amount that we needed to pay the mortgage. Now, tell you just a little bit of the backstory of how we got this unexpected check. See, when Brian was born, because he was a couple of days late, Donna's maternity leave didn't start until a couple of days after we expected it to start, which, incidentally, unbeknownst to us, pushed her maternity leave into January, to January 2nd. We didn't think about it. We didn't even. And then after her maternity leave, she quit. Well, the reason we got this check in the mail was because the company that she was working for decided that because her maternity leave went into January 2nd, that they considered her working for the year, so they paid her two weeks of vacation. You know, the Lord's pretty good, right? So Brian was born on the 21st of November rather than the 19th, and we praise the Lord for that. Those two days became very important. Now, guys, many times through those early years, God met our needs. I'm going to tell you, most of the time it wasn't by checks in the mail. As a matter of fact, that's the only time that ever happened. (laughs) Most of the time through those years, it was us just having to live without things that we wanted. And we just said, well, we can't afford to do that, so we don't. But we never lacked, we never did without, but we just had to make some hard choices. But even then, through the years, when we couldn't figure it out with our own understanding, we just had to learn that God had it figured out. And it was going to work out. Now, what does it mean to live life leaning on your own understanding? Simply put, it means this. It means living a life that requires no faith. It's when you start living life that doesn't need God. It's having the attitude of, if I can't figure it out, if I can't make it work on paper, then I'm not going to do it. It's to live your life in a way That for all practical purposes, you don't need God. you got to be in control of things. Things have got to depend on you. You've got to figure it out. See, that's leaning on your own understanding. It's, it's, It's the life that really doesn't need God. And that's why when everything's going great, we can claim to be trusting God. Because we don't need anything. But what do we lean on the moment we can't supply everything to our life? 
Can you trust God with your whole heart? And stop leaning on your ability to figure it all out. Notice the next thing that the author says. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. This is such an important line here, yes. Ever walked into a room and been totally ignored? Ever, ever done that? You know, maybe you walked into church one Sunday morning. I hope this didn't happen to you, but everybody's talking and nobody notices you came in. You know, you just, okay, I'm here. Everybody see me? Yeah. No. You know, that's a bad feeling to walk into a room and nobody acknowledges you at all. Don't you think that that is sometimes how God feels with us? He's there. He's in the room with us. In the midst of our trial, in the midst of our struggle, He's right there and we ignore Him. We never acknowledge His presence. We treat God like it doesn't matter that you're here, God. See, to acknowledge God is simply to do three things. It's to remember and to recognize and to respond to the fact that He's there. First, we remember that God is with you. You know, sometimes you just have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is here. God, I know you're here. I recognize I'm in this difficulty, but Lord, I'm not alone. You're here. Second, we have to recognize his presence in some fashion. For me, it's usually just saying a short prayer. Like, okay, Lord, you're here. And Lord, I know you got a plan. Lord, I'm going to remember that right in this moment. I'm going to acknowledge that. And then third is to respond in light of his presence. It's to remind yourself that the success or failure at this moment is not just up to you. God has a plan. He has a purpose for this moment. You might not yet understand what it is, but he does. See, this is to acknowledge God's presence. And when we acknowledge him, notice the promise. He will direct your paths. Or literally in the Hebrew, I love this phrase in the Hebrew, it means God will make your path smooth. I like that. He'll smooth out the bumpy road that you're traveling on. In other words, he'll make your walk easier. See, oftentimes, and let's remember this, guys. In this life, sometimes life is just going to be hard. And it might not have anything to do with what you've done right or wrong. It's just sometimes in a sinful world, life is hard. And when life is hard, what do we want? Lord, put me on a better path. I don't like the path I'm on. I don't like where you have me right now. Look, please. And you know what? Sometimes God says, no. You need to walk this path. But you know what's really nice? Is when God just sort of smooths it out a little bit. Just kind of makes it a little bit easier. That's what the promise here is. If we'll trust God with our whole heart, if we won't lean on our understanding, but if we'll acknowledge Him, if we'll remember that He's a part, His promise to us is, you know what, I won't necessarily make your path where you don't have to walk it, but I can make it easier for you. And isn't that what we really need? For God just to smooth our way when we're going through that hard trial. Just, Lord, just make it just a little bit easier. And notice the next phrase in verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, verse 7 continues this thought of trusting God rather than trusting yourself. To be wise in your own eyes is simply this. is to think that you know better than God does about the situation that you're in right now. It's to ignore God's word. 
and, 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 and then to just make a decision based upon what you think is best rather than what you know is best. Ever done that? Ever been in a situation where you absolutely knew the right thing to do? At least what God wanted you to do. And you thought, I don't like God's answer. God, I don't like that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay, there you go. You're being wise in your own eyes. Whenever we start thinking, I know what the Bible says, but I think. And then fill in the Fill it in with whatever. Guys, when we do that, we are being wise in our own eyes because we think we're smarter than God. And that is foolish. It's easier than we think to lose our respect for who God is. To lose the fear of God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and and body in hell. See, we need to remember that from time to time. We just need a refresher. Wait a minute. I need to remember who God is. Because when we no longer fear God, it becomes quite comfortable for us to choose sin. It becomes so much easier to just choose to do the wrong thing. You know, when I look at our society today and the unhealthiness of our society, I can attribute it to one thing. Most people today have lost the fear of God and they just think they know better than God. And so what do we have in our world today? We have a world full of addiction, a world full of self-destructive behaviors that are at epidemic levels. And yet, because of our pride and our rebellion, we keep thinking we know better than God. This wise father, he reminds his son, he says, look, son. Fear God. Remember who He is. Remember His Word. Why? Because it will add health to your life. Doing things God's way, He says it will strengthen our bones. I like that. In other words, it will make us tougher. It will make us healthier. And it's wise. Dead talk number three. Very simple. Trust God, not yourself. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The wise, this wise father gives his son a very simple reminder. Never forget where your blessings come from. In our prosperous American society, guys, it is easy for us to give credit to places other than God. Too often it's to ourselves. We say things like, hey, I'm the one that worked hard. You know, I earned this. I have what I earned. I don't say that very often, but you know what? I've thought it from time to time. Kind of sat in my house and looked back and thought, okay, done all right. Yeah. How quickly it can disappear. Have you learned that in life? How quickly it can go away? You know, This young man was probably a farmer, or at least in an agrarian society. You know, farmers need an awful lot to go right to be successful in a given year. You know, they need rain, but they don't need too much rain. They need dry, but they don't need too much dry. They need some cold, but they don't need too much cold. They need some warm, they need some sunshine, but they don't need too much sunshine. 
See, the daily existence of a farmer is a constant awareness of just how vulnerable his life is. Now, we've done a lot of things in our modern society to kind of help us where we don't have to live that way. But guys, our lives are far more vulnerable than we really think they are. And we just need to remember this. Just this past fall, one week, in one week, uh, our oven died. Two days later, one of our air conditioner units died. In the matter of a week, we spent $10,000 out of our savings account. Now, I praise the Lord that we had enough money in there that we didn't have to put it on a charge card or something. But you know what? After that week, I kind of sat back on that following Monday morning, and I just kind of took a deep breath, and I said, Wow, Lord, it can go quick. It really can. You know, we sit here securely thinking everything is just fine, and then all of a sudden, what? A little downturn in the economy. A, A few broken appliances, and all of a sudden, wow, things can change quickly. See, to honor the Lord with your possessions is to recognize where they came from. And we do this by giving the first fruits of our earnings back to God. You don't give to God your leftovers. No, God wants the first of what you get. Why? Because He he wants you to remind yourself that He is top on your priority list. You remember that thing about trusting Him with your whole heart? Yeah. This is a practical way that you do that. My, my parents from an early, really early age started teaching us this. They gave us a weekly allowance. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was like a dollar for every year you were born, you know, where you lived. So if you were six years old, you got $6. If you're eight, you got $8. And, and on Saturdays, they would give us the allowance. And then they would immediately, and I'm not kidding, immediately take us to our piggy banks. You would put the money in your piggy bank, and then you would take out, in my case, I was six years old, 60 cents. You would put that 60 cents in your church envelope, seal it up. You'd get it the next morning off your dresser. You'd take it to church, and when the offering bag came by, you'd drop in the offering box. I can remember doing that all my life. And what was really interesting, when at the end of the year, you know, and you got your church tithe statement, you know, we send those out. You got, you know, he would always pass them out to the kids. Okay, James, you gave, you know, $12 to the church this year, whatever. And I, and I remember the impact that that had on me. Oh, wow. That's great. But here's what my parents were trying to teach us. They were trying to teach us exactly what this father was trying to teach his son. That we give to God first and then we trust God to bless the rest to meet our needs. God has proven himself faithful over and over and over again in my life. But I want you to remember this. With God, guys, it is not about the money. This is where we always get hung up at church. Oh, it's about the money. Oh, that preacher's talking about money. It is not about the money. God couldn't care less about your money. But God does know the connection between your heart and your wallet. He knows that very close connection. And so when he's talking about trusting him, he always goes to the place that we tend to put our trust in. And that's our money. And he says, look, I'm going to give you a practical way of reminding yourself on a weekly or monthly basis who's most important in your life. You give to me first. And this is what the father's trying to teach his son. He wants to remind his son, son, you're not self-sufficient. You know, a few broken appliances will remind you very quickly that God is in control and that things can go south in a hurry. 
So dead talk number four, give to God first and trust him to bless the rest. Number, verse 11, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom, God, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The final application of, of our wisdom this morning that the father gives to his son is this. When God is trying to correct you, listen. Do you know what it feels like to be chastened by the Lord? You ever felt that before? You know, I, I, I think most of us have. We might not have recognized it. You know, most often, how God has disciplined me in my life is He simply let me reap what I've sowed. You know, if I choose to make bad decisions, He says, okay, fine, James. Here's the consequences of that choice. Do you like it? No. Okay, you're learning. See, earthly mom and dads, we make the mistake with our kids a lot of times of rescuing them from the natural consequences of their bad choices. Now, hey, sometimes when they're really young, we got to do this. And so we supply the, the hand of judgment to their backside to supply the consequences that we had to take out because we didn't want them to get run over by a car. But this can be a mistake as our kids get older. Sometimes we got to step back and say, hey, you did it. Here comes the consequences. Because think about it, how do we learn? How do humans learn? We learn best by experiencing pain. <laughs> right? Our pain is, the best, is best corrected when we feel the pain and the discomfort of the wrong path that we've chosen to walk down. In other words, we make a decision. We're going down the wrong path. It gets painful and we go, I don't like it on this path. And God says, good. Now change directions. Go in a different direction. See, if we choose a path of destruction, God's trying to warn us. Don't go too far down this path. But when he does that, don't get angry about it. God, why'd you let this happen in my life? It's all your fault. Seriously? Did I make that choice back there? No, you did, you dummy. So often we get mad at God. Hey, when God starts chasing our lives, stop. Just pause your life for just a moment and say, wait a minute. What did I do? Maybe something wrong here. Did I make a wrong decision? Did I make a bad choice? Now, somebody asked me after the, the first service, well, how do you know if it's just a trial you're going through? Or how do you know if you've done something wrong? You ask. You stop. You think about it. You know, am I just going through a trial where God's trying to teach me? Or am I in this mess because I did something really stupid and I need to change? See, that, that's, what, that's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants us to pause and listen. Don't get mad when you're experiencing trouble in your life. Stop. Examine why am I experiencing this pain? And there's a good possibility that God's trying to correct you. And so dead talk number five is this. Correction is good for us. Be thankful for it instead of getting angry about it. Now let's close by reading three more verses very quickly. Verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom, God's wisdom, is a powerful and valuable thing in our life. And today, this wise father is giving to his son and giving to us 
Five practical ways of looking and say, hey, am I embracing God's wisdom in my life? The Heavenly Father, I think, is looking at each one of us today. And He's looking us in the eyes of His Word and He's saying, hey, let's have a dad talk. Are you listening? I'm trying to say these things to you. Here's what wisdom is. Remembering God's Word and obeying it from your heart. Treating people with mercy, but always coupling that mercy with God's truth. We can't overlook sin, but we can confront it with kindness. Trust God, not yourself. Give to God first and trust God to bless the rest. Correction's good for us. Be thankful for it instead of getting mad about it. Let's pray together.